everybody, and welcome to the Seven Innings Podcast. Uh, the mayhem is underway. The bracket is out. We are anxious to talk about it. I'm sure you've already started at home, and uh, we're going to jump into some of our thoughts, maybe even add a few proposals for what we'd love to see to help improve um, understanding the selection process and then the actual criteria maybe that are involved that we can continue to improve as the, the sport grows. And then we're going to dive into the bracket. We're going to break it down for you heading into the regional weekend. We might even shag a few stats and of course, talk about some of the key players to watch. BMO, Smitty, Bro, JDH, Shro, Scarborough, we're all on hand and we are ready to roll. Follow along uh, at Seven Innings Podcast for your lineup card. And of course, listen in wherever you have uh, your podcast set up. We're going to talk about the selection and we're going to jump right in with Michelle, who uh, uh, was uh, with Amanda and I. Then we'll go to you, Scarborough, for thoughts because we heard directly from the selection committee and uh, got to digest that bracket. Uh, We were interested, Smitty, in who was going to be the overall number one, maybe Oklahoma maybe UCLA, maybe Florida after they won the SEC. Uh, There were still some questions about that, but obviously tremendous intrigue about what happened to the Big Ten and the Pac-12. Yeah, I I think when we first get it, you know, it's it's kind of like controlled chaos trying to figure and look at everything and, 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 and jump into, um, into the numbers. And I think the first thing obviously that stood out was Oklahoma. You go back and you do a little research on them. Their RPI is four, their strength of schedule, not as strong, but basically it's the eye test, right? Their offense is explosive. They're, um, an incredible team. Then you have UCLA, Bama, Florida. So I I don't think anyone is really has an issue with what's going on at the top. It's obviously the bottom of the bracket. It's the, it's the big 10. And then of course it's Washington and Oregon. And those were the, the two that really jumped out to me sending Oregon to Texas, but Washington, I mean, that was a team that if you ask me who my top eight picks were, it was probably going to be Washington would been one of those. So uh, learning and, and going through this process year after year, it really does come down to that at times the committee will weigh bad losses much heavier than good wins. And it seemed like a couple of losses, two to three losses earlier in the year to Washington hurt them. Uh, I don't know if that was justifiable or not, but um, I would love to see the committee do things a little bit differently. Um, and again, I could, I could go on and on and I'd love to hear everybody else's comments on this, but uh, I feel like we could have a show alone on just, <laughs> just the, the process and how everything w- was selected out. But I was shocked. I mean, I, I don't think anyone would say that they weren't shocked. So. Yeah. I think that um, when first seeing the bracket, there was definitely the wow factor, um, which I just think that we've kind of had that all year. And I think too, that there's so much parody in our sport. I think that there was never going to be a perfect bracket. I think that there was going to be some unhappy people no matter what. So you definitely have been hearing from the unhappy fans and coaches or conferences. I I just truly think that nobody was going to be hundred percent happy. If the big 10 felt better about the the bracket, then maybe the SEC is more mad and we're hearing more from them. So I think that was a big part of it when looking at it. And I think that Clemson was the 2021 Minnesota um, Minnesota a couple years ago was ranked number one in the polls. They ended up traveling to Alabama for a regional, ironically. Um, and that's where Clemson is going. And a lot of people thought that 
Minnesota should have been a top seed. A lot of people think that Clemson should have been a top seed. Do you feel that emotional connection with the team because you're pulling for them? They're overachieving. They're kind of the Cinderella story. But at the end of the day, Michelle, you were talking about data and numbers. Clemson didn't have the strength of schedule and that ended up coming back to hurt them in the same way that it hurt Minnesota a couple of years ago. The reverse of that was that LSU got rewarded for their number one strength of schedule. They played a ridiculously hard schedule. They got a top eight, number seven overall national seed, even though they had quite a few losses. So just, um, I think my big takeaway there is that strength of schedule matters and it will continue to matter if you schedule a tougher, um, schedule. And I think my experience is a little bit different than your guys's, Michelle, Beth, and Amanda, because you get given the bracket to prepare for the selection show, right? And I hear about the bracket when you guys are announcing it. So I hear about the bracket one, two, three. So we get through eight, and UCLA is the only Pac-10 team or Pac-12 team, excuse me, to be named. And you're thinking, okay, where's Washington? Where's Oregon? And then the first Pac-12 team you hear to be named after UCLA is Arizona. And you're thinking, there's something wrong here. Arizona is the fifth best team in the league. Like, how, how, how did they get the 11 seed? And then you're at the 15 seed, and Arizona State is announced before Washington. And there's only one spot left for either Washington or Oregon. You know Oregon's already going to Texas at this point. So to experience the bracket being laid out one by one, I felt like built the drama for the at-home viewers, including myself. And I think it it definitely added to the fire and the frustration from a viewer standpoint of, wow. So committee, you're truly saying that the Pac-12 is simply not a good conference anymore and, and how you perform within your conference doesn't matter. That's the opinion that I had while viewing the selection show. Kayla, what did you think? Yeah, I was kind of on the same boat. Actually, I was in a completely different boat because I was on an airplane, so I didn't get to watch it live. So people were texting me because I had texting on the plane, just feeding me seeds one at a time. So it was a very interesting on the edge of my seat um, experience for about an hour. So thank shout out to my friends that were texting me during the show. But, uh, you know, I think what was really interesting is that there were some clear, obvious uh things that happened with the committee that they viewed as important strength of schedule, like you said, being one of them, but it was really interesting because there was also the inconsistency of some of that. And, and Texas is really the team that stands out to me. I mean, I know their RPI coming in was a 10, which is a great number, but their strength of schedule was a 39. And you compare that to Washington RPI of 16 strength of schedule is a 33. So, you know, just, not necessarily valuing that Pac-12 as much as maybe some of the other conferences was really interesting. And, and again, just Clemson's obvious to me. I get why they didn't get a top host seed. The fact that they have to go on the road to Alabama, though, I think you're right, Amanda. That's not really fair to either team because Alabama is the toughest team in the country to play on the road, in my opinion. And then Clemson probably should have been to a lower seeded team uh, somewhere in the 13, 14, 15 seeds. So there were just some big inconsistencies and that's, what's the hardest part about looking at this bracket. I think there's some really good matchups and we're going to be in for an incredible show in the next few weeks, but uh, it was just not as consistent as it could have been. Well, and Kayla, to your point, I think the inconsistencies happened because of the administrations of a lot of these conferences, giving different opportunities to the different 
schools all around the country, the Big Ten seemed to be penalized because of their administrations. Their commissioner told them they couldn't play outside their conference. And so Michigan ends up not getting seated and has to travel to Washington. And then they only get three teams in. I think that's tough. And then the Pac-12 doesn't have a tournament. That's a commissioner's issue. That's an administrative issue. Then you've got the SEC that played a full schedule, full preseason schedule, and they're rewarded for it. And so I think this is a much deeper seated issue than just who are we playing and when are we playing and what are our losses. This comes down to administrations and heads of conference offices being able to step up and value the sport of softball and give equal opportunities all across the country. Yeah, um, JDH, exactly what I was going to say. This comes down to me. This is a call out, not for the Pac-12 coaches and players, and obviously not the the Big Ten as well, coaches and players. This is to the administration of those conferences. They have to do something different because right now they're hurting their own programs by not stepping up and doing things different to value the sport of softball. And I think that's what it comes down to. Um, You know, it's hard because the players in the end are the ones that are going to have to, uh, you know, obviously play through this, but everyone has this opportunity to win a national championship. And I think that's the big thing is that hopefully none of these programs are a prisoner of the moment just worrying about um where they're at but uh, you know i i really hope that those conferences do things differently in the future to help out their players and their their teams within the conference well and i also go back to the rpi number i don't think that was a valid rubric for us this year there were teams that couldn't play outside of their conferences so we couldn't get a clear judge as to where they lined up one to another and they were they were hurt by it but at the same time, that fall, the onus falls back on the conferences to be able to allow their teams to put those numbers up. Nice use of rubric. Um, I, I will say, uh, you know, th- this was an opportunity. This was a year to do things a little differently. And since there was so much inconsistency with team schedules, there was a chance to put a little bit of humanity above the math and the geography that always is a part of this. And, and we have to understand that is where the selection committee comes from. And it it is up to, you know, the coaches, it is up to the NCAA to help give them, you know, the tools, uh, the proper criteria to consider. So as, as we move into, you know, some proposals for what we would love to see change Everyone else has moved away sport-wise from the RPI. It's time for softball to do the same thing. We've got enough number nerds now that we can come up with something um, that is better. Uh, You know, we had talked, I I thought, at the beginning of the season um, that it wouldn't be punishment for the Big Ten to not play outside their conference, that it wouldn't be punishment for the fact that the geography out west simply means, unlike the southeast, You can't have a top 25 team hop on a bus and come play you on a Tuesday night. So in a regular normal year, yeah, I'm okay with getting after a team for not scheduling their non-conference very tough. Uh, You know, should we have punished Washington? Because you know what, They're, they're not easy to get to and it's not easy for them to get other places. They tried their best to schedule games. Um, and, and then I think we, we need to make sure we clarify right at the beginning of the process as a group in that room, these are the three key things we're going to focus on. Top 25, top 50 wins 
are a lot more important to us than a top 50 loss in February. And if we're going to look at how teams are playing at the end of the season, which is a piece of criteria, you know what? Maybe we do need to cut some teams a little bit of slack early in the season. I, I think it, proving who you can beat is, is much more significant than, than the big losses. And the other thing I would propose is let's ease up a little bit on this full body of work business and let's reemphasize what teams are doing in their conference. It should be a piece of criteria if you win your championship as a power five school. It should be a conversation in the room. They can't do this right now. What conference you play in and where you finish in your league. I don't see how you can put Washington below Oregon, Arizona State, and Arizona. And the committee doesn't want to talk about conferences, but that's what all the fans are talking about. Let's give them that tool to work with. Um, because, you know, if they had all that in place, Texas is lucky to be hosting Oregon and not vice versa because Oregon had a top 10 strength of schedule and twice as many top 25 wins as Texas. So we need to normalize what numbers we're talking about with each team that we look at. Anybody else got any ideas? Yeah, I I couldn't agree more, Beth. I made a list of three things and, and one is a clear outlined criteria, which is exactly what you're talking about. Second, you mentioned the fans talking about conference play. So why can't we have more people on the soft, on the committee who have a background in softball? Because when you look at the list, there's only one person with softball knowledge on the committee list. And then number three for me would be, you know, we look at OSU, they had two bad losses. So a, a bad loss is defined as a team over 100. They were not penalized for that because their pitchers were out because of COVID. Yet Washington's bad losses were not with their ace in the circle. They were not with Gabby Plain in the circle. So could we possibly credit an actual lineup to be valued at the same as an injured player? Do, are, are those, you know, can those be equal? Those would be my three suggestions to the committee in this selection process. Well, and, and one thing I want to jump in and say real quick, because I've had this conversation with a couple different coaches is that there are some coaches that love RPI. They know how to manipulate it. They know how to yes. schedule and they love it. They don't want to go away from it because they understand. I mean, and LSU is a perfect example I mean, their strength of schedule was unprecedented. I think it's been like the strongest in the last 10 years. So it it will be interesting figuring out what's the right thing for the sport and really what's fair for the players, because there are some teams that are not playing this weekend that probably should be playing. And, and so, I mean, we're talking about seeds, (laughs) but there's some some schools that that aren't even playing that really could have made a case that they, they could have been playing. What do you think, Jenny? Well, when you talk about seeds, we always talk about those top 16 seeds. I think the committee needs to start seeding one through 32 so that your one and two matchups are a lot more equal because what you're, I think, I think if Washington really is a 16, I'd be okay with Michigan being a 17, which would be the number, number one, two seed. I'd be fine with that, but I don't think Washington was a 16, And so they get sent to a spot that's not okay, in my opinion. And then Mm -hmm. down to that 400-mile distance that they talk about all the time, that needs to be shot out the window. I do 
agree with that one. We need to start putting the best matchups on the board and putting them in the right places, regardless of how far away it really is. Yeah. If you, if you look at the bracket as Washington, as the 16 seed, then, then the common sense would say, well, that must mean they would get the best two seed. And in this case, it's Michigan. And again, it kind of goes back to the pandemic uh, uh, you know, a little bit of humanity, a little bit of compassion, you know, that the players and coaches in the big 10 wanted to play. Is there, is there a hardcore sec fan out there really that would be disappointed if Michigan was hosting and not Georgia as the seventh sec, eighth sec team to host a regional, which George, the way that Georgia goes, teams finished and Michigan is a conference champion. I, that was, that would be a discussion I would love to have in that committee room. But it goes to say, too, of how important regional region is and drive. So a lot of people don't know that the committee looks at who can drive where. So, Jenny, to your point, if we seed out the number two seeds or go one through 32, then we'd have to kind of do away with the geography thing. Because under, is it 400 miles? Then the NCA is going to put uh, the team on a bus instead of a flight. And so it comes back to finances. But I feel that was going to be my proposal is to do away with the geography. And let's just our, our sport is at a point and I don't know who pays for it. I don't want to know. I don't know about budgets, anything, but our sport is at a point where it shouldn't be like, we're just looking at the geography and regionalizing it. We need to have this big national picture to be able to put up the best matches matchups that there possibly are. I, I couldn't agree with you more, Amanda. I mean, looking into, for example, the Oklahoma region, they have Wichita state and Texas A&M in that region. That's, those are two tough opponents. One, one, their conference, Texas A&M is a good team out of the sec. They should have, you know, a virtual cakewalk to, and it might be because it's Oklahoma, but still they should have a really, really easy road to get to, to supers. And that's the reward for getting to be that number one seed or one of the top five seeds. So I think you guys are completely right. The travel just, I, I feel like it lessens the the value of our sport and it lessens the value of playing your way into one of those top seeds. And that's always a goal. You want to be a top eight because you know that your road's going to be easier to the world series. And that's what it's all about. Uh, I also, I also think it's really interesting. We're talking about proposals and just how everything works. I, I felt like looking at the fans reactions on Twitter, there was half the people that were like, we need to go to hundred percent computer based results. We don't need to do any kind of eye test. And then you have other people that are like, man, we need more eye tests. And so it's, it's such an interesting balance because uh, Oklahoma is another great example. You put them in the computer. I guarantee you they're not a one seed, but you see them on, uh, on the field hundred percent. There's nobody in the country that's better than them in terms of the eye test. So I think fans got to be careful of what they want because it's a tough balance. And I don't envy the people that are in the selection committee, but at the same time, I think we just need more consistency and a clearer cut way to be able to judge these teams. And I, I like the eye test because it's important, but it needs to come with really, really consistent background support. All right, let's move on now to bracket intrigue. And then we're going to take some questions too. We know a lot of fans have been checking in at seven innings podcast, BMO, Smitty, Shro, Scarborough, Bro, JDH, and bracket intrigue. Let's go to the left coast. Jen Shro, why don't you start us off as we move forward now to some of these big matchups? We got home run hitters in one place. We got unicorns in another. What are you looking at? Oh man. Okay. I'm looking at what regionals I think are kind of wide open. Actually, that's what I'm looking at. So 
I think that Kentucky is wide open. I just had a little interview with Abby Sweet last night. You know, we know Notre Dame has never advanced to a Super Regional. When I said that to her, her words were, there is smoke coming out of my ears when we hear that. But Kentucky, you know, you're in Lexington. You've got Notre Dame there. You've got Northwestern. We don't know how good these Big Ten teams are. What if they come out super hot? Another region that's of interest to me that I feel like uh, could be a little interesting is Gainesville. Everyone thinks Florida is the four seed and they're going to roll, but Baylor is not a bad team out of the big 12 and South Alabama beat Alabama this year. So that's interesting to me. ASU down in, in uh, Tempe, you got Keely Richard coming in, who is one of the best arms in the country. Can she silence ASU's bats? And then Georgia, obviously Georgia is the host. Duke is the seed. That's a very intriguing region to me because we watched Georgia beat Oklahoma this year. We've seen Duke be really strong. And then we've seen them kind of take a dip in regular conference play. And then yes, they won the tournament, but they beat Clemson one to zero and the ball didn't leave the infield. So I got to take that with a little bit of a grain of salt to see, I think that could be a very competitive region. Amanda, what are you seeing across the country? Yeah, I think uh, you named a lot of really, really good ones. And each one is just so fun to look at and dive into, which I know we're going to get more into it here in a second. Um, right away, I go to Baton Rouge and LSU. Um, I feel like that one is very competitive with McNeese and George Washington and Louisiana. So I'm intrigued there because LSU has been a little Jekyll and Hyde. They've looked like a World Series team at times. And then at other times, they've looked a little bit down. So that one, to me, I'm very interested in because I don't think George Washington gets enough credit with Sierra Lang and Jenna Cohn uh, leading the way for them and they're coached well too. And then plus they have Louisiana there. So you can't um, forget about the Cajun rivalry. And I think that that one's going to be pretty spicy. Mm-hmm. Oh, I, I mean, I want to give a little shout out. My cousin is the assistant coach at George Washington. I don't think many people know that Kayla coached her. Yeah, Lena. She's, the assist- she's their right. first base coach. Nice. And doing good. Yeah, so. Jenna Cohn is definitely one to watch there. What you got, bro? Uh, you know, I'm looking at, I think the Tennessee region is going to be incredible. Uh, I think you have two of the best pitchers in the entire country, Odyssey Alexander from James Madison going against Ashley Rogers. So that could be a really, really heavy pitching, uh, regional plus Liberty's in there and Liberty's played some really good teams this season, went toe to toe with LSU battled hard with some teams in the sec. So that's going to be a tough one for Tennessee to get out of. And then obviously you can't help in my opinion, but not see the Texas versus Oregon game as a huge game. And honestly, I think Oregon gets out of there pretty easily to be quite honest. I think Oregon is my easy upset. I think they've got a really nice um, opportunity to go beat Texas. Oh, and then Lombardi gets to go try and knock off the pokes perhaps. Whoo, Schmitte. And and I think the other one, obviously, uh, Kayla, those were exactly the two that I'm like the big light bulb is going off because uh, Liberty and and JMU going into uh, into Tennessee. But um, how about Clemson, Alabama? I think that that one is super, super intriguing. I think the biggest part, as you mentioned earlier, Kayla, and you know, because playing at home uh, at the Rhodes House is that Alabama just does such a good job. What I'm most intrigued about will be conference to conference matchups when you look at ACC against SEC, Big Ten, 
Pac-12. I mean, I think that we're going to figure out really quickly, especially for the Big Ten, where they only played in conference, speed of the game. I'm a little worried about um, some of those matchups for them just because they've, they've you know, only seen themselves. But to me, those are, those are the most intriguing matchups, uh, definitely. Um, but I, I also think, I think that, that's something, too, that the fans, Smitty, don't, yes. we, we don't want to see the same teams. We want to no. see eight matchups where it's interconference for bragging rights and a chance to play against some other teams. Yeah, for sure. And that's why the regionals are so awesome, right? So that's what we get yeah. because you can't have two of the same conference teams in the same region. And then all of a sudden we pop out of regionals and we have these conference matchups and supers and everyone's like, Oh my God, you know, that and could so possibly be, by the way, that could be Fouts versus Kegel three times. How about yes. that in that regional? What about you, JDH? So I've been up to my neck. I am at the um, Washington regional this weekend. And Ooh. first of all, we talked, we've talked earlier, Jen, you brought up, it was the after hours party. Well, that's going to be me this weekend. These games start so late on the East Coast. But when it comes to that matchup between Washington and Michigan, I just look at that and it's going to be all about who's angrier, right? I mean, both of these teams feel disrespected and it's going to be about who's able to channel that anger and be able to come out with a positive outcome rather than just feeling disrespected the whole time. I know in 1996, Arizona, the team, my senior year, we were sent to Florida State four regionals and we were so mad, but it, that's the one thing. If I could point to one thing that gave us the national championship that year, that was it because we were sent to Florida state. We were so upset that we didn't care who we played and we just ran the table. And so I think that could be the fuel that one of these teams could use. Beth, we have uh, some questions that were in the mailbag that I thought um, we might like to answer. So uh, Amy asks, is it time for the Pac-12 to um, have a conference tournament and step up their game? SEC shows live games every week. Could the exposure of tough conference play uh, be a role for the selection committee? Well, Shrub, Mike Candrea was addressing that uh, this week, wasn't he? Talking about, uh, you know, they've got to get improvement uh, on television and and possibly attorney. Well, I think the tournament, yes, but a tournament isn't going to guarantee that the PAC 12 is going to even have national exposure. I think that's where they're missing is no one is able to view these games. I mean, I live in California and I get the LA channel, the national channel, and I I can't even watch other, I can't watch Washington if I even wanted to, and I live very close to them. So I think a tournament will most definitely help, but national exposure is crucial to the pack continuing to grow. Kayla, I know you have thoughts on this as well. Yeah, I'm on the West Coast too, Jen. I I know what it's like. I only get Pac-12 Oregon. So if it's not Oregon softball, Oregon State softball, it's Oregon baseball. I you just your your options are so limited. But that's honestly the Pac-12 shot themselves in the foot because they decided they were going to do their own their own TV channel. I mean, that's what you get when you decided that you were going to run your own conference channel. So I think that's Maybe where that'll change with a new commissioner. That'll be interesting I, to see. Yes, it, it could because they're limited and they already have to compete with. LA professional sports, Seattle professionals. I mean, they're already in a tough, uh, tough area to compete for viewership. So only having a, a better station or amplifying their station helps. But after watching the SEC tournament this weekend and how important it is to have a championship level play, I mean, you guys saw the level that we saw out of those teams. 
was extremely higher. You can tell they were fighting for something. It meant something to go out there and compete on the weekend. And it elevated the play of every single team that was participating in that tournament. So when you talk about who's doing well at the end and where it matters in the committee's eyes, I think having a tournament will only help the Pac-12. Well, and it's not just about a tournament. It's about the exposure. And I think the Pac-12, their um, co- their contract with Pac-12 Network is up in four years. And so that conversation has already begun about figuring out where do they need to go with that? How do they need to promote themselves? And that's actually the conversation that a lot of the coaches have been talking about is how do we self-promote? We see what the SEC has done. How do we put ourselves in that conversation as well? And more than anything, the commissioner for the SEC, Greg Sankey, came out with the perfect tagline. It just means more. And it's shown across everything that they do. And I think that that's maybe where every other conference is looking to go to give themselves that self-promotion and elevation. Jenny, one, I I cannot believe that a PAC alum just said that it just means more is the perfect tagline. I can't can't get beyond it. But my my one little add-on is for any Pac-12 fans listening who are upset with the committee or upset at others for what's happening in the Pac-12, I need you to flip your mindset and you should be upset with your own conference. Like I'm upset with my own conference. That's who we need to be mad at. Don't blame others. It's it, the Pac made their own decisions in this. So we, we just need to be better. It's frustrating. Yep. Thanks for letting me add, Amanda. Sorry. I know you want to get to more questions. Well, sorry that I just got a call from Laporte for the fourth time that I don't know who this number is. <laughs> um, so next question, Mandy. Great little nickname there. Uh, Clemson Tiger fan. Mandy wants to know our whole fan base here in South Carolina is extremely confused and upset as to why Clemson was perceived so low by the committee, essentially ranked 30th by the committee. That's her saying that, Um, especially with Duke and FSU perceived so much higher. Can you guys shed some light on this with what happened with Clemson? I'll just jump in. I think this was a scheduling thing. I think uh, coach Rittman, it was the first year and he did not want to blow his team up. Um, uh, I think it was that. So I think it's a scheduling issue. Their strength of schedule was was not as high. Um, and so the committee potentially looked at that. I also think it hurt that uh, tournaments earlier in the year were canceled. That would have helped them with their strength of schedule. Um, so those two things were maybe a, a little bit of strike. What do you think, Bimo? Yeah, um, so their, their strength of schedule was a 92. And their top 25 wins were only four. And that is the second lowest of any of the teams that were considered just above Texas. So I think that's probably what did it. And, and Amanda, I, I would love for um, the, the what I was talking about earlier. I think Clemson should get a lot of credit for winning the ACC, especially the regular season. Um, and Duke wins the tournament. And yet both of those teams are seated below Florida state and it is the Seminoles of the three who get to host. So I I would love to see that piece of criteria change. And I just want to interject real quick too, Beth on that. Remember um, Arizona played at FSU, right? So it's, it's not just who are you going to, it's who are you asking to come to right to play you. So those things, I think in the future, coaches are going to realize we have to schedule better pre-conference. Uh, it's going to mean mean a lot. So, all right, back to you, Amanda. <laughs> was that a St. Pete elite? Uh, I think that was a St. Pete elite shot right there. Come to Florida, America. Come on down. Exactly. Woo. What else we got, Scarborough? 
Okay. So from Enrique, which are the top teams that didn't get in for the basketball tournament? This is always a big topic. And I wonder how that list looks for softball. So what are some teams that you guys thought like could have maybe gotten in, but didn't? Well, Amanda, do you remember the, t- the, the four where Smitty, you got the list? I got it. I got it. So the first four out Delaware, you guys, Delaware had an RPI, an adjusted RPI of 21 and a strength of schedule of 21. So that's a team that really, when you look at it, they probably, again, just based on RPI and strength of schedule, but, but their last two games, they lost to JMU 17 to nothing. Ouch. So again, remember how, you know, they look, what are you, what are you doing for me lately? Um, Illinois state, same thing. They, their strength of schedule though was way too high. Um, 54 South Carolina, they had an RPI of 49, a strength of schedule of 23 and UAB RPI of 56 strength of schedule of 52. So those were your first four out the last four in Kennesaw State, uh, Northwestern, USF, and UNI. Beautiful. What you got, Scarborough? Any other? Yeah, good ones? no, I think that's good. Um, just right. I'm. I wait. One more thing though is that I was thinking about last four in, first four out, or I always confuse it. But those eight teams that you just named, we thought that there might be an SEC team that would be hurt by the Big Ten, and I feel like that might be South Carolina because Northwestern got in over them, even though Northwestern was like an RPI eighty. South Carolina didn't get in, and I'm not saying that they should be, but it just you know that that is a team that didn't get in and Northwestern did over them. So Sunbelt, by the way, got four teams in really good for the Sunbelt. Let's see if they can uh, do, do some damage. It's time to jump into the brackets lady and uh, ladies and get into this a little bit uh, deeper Scarborough, JDH, Shrow, bro, Smitty, BMO, seven innings podcast. Uh, let's see. The action starts Thursday in uh, at Arizona state in the Tempe regional Arizona State, Southern Illinois, BYU, Virginia Tech, and then everybody else jumps into action on Friday. Of course, it's double elimination all through the weekend. 16 teams survive. Super Regionals next weekend at eight sites. The Women's College World Series starts June 3rd. We've got you covered through it all on uh, on the ESPN networks. We're going to start up uh, upper left side. So get your brackets out. We'll go uh, upper, lower left, and then jump over to the right side. So we start out with Oklahoma and the uh, Norman Regional and the Seattle Regional. Uh, bro, you want to start us off here and just some thoughts? Uh, I know there's going to be a, a lot of home runs leaving the ball yard in Norman this weekend. Yeah, I was, uh, I'm going to be calling that region this weekend. Uh, you know, there's a little team called the Oklahoma Sooners that are pretty decent. I hear, I, I think they have a pretty good offense. Uh, no, but in all seriousness, uh, this is one of the best home run hitting uh, regions in the entire country. I think it might be the best home run hitting region. OU first in home runs with 130 Wichita States coming to town. They're second in the country with 94 home runs. A&M right behind, you know, in the middle of the pack, they've got 66 home runs. And then Morgan State, for the first time in program history, will be in the NCAA softball tournament. They only have 15 home runs, but hey, like they're there. So uh, it's going to be a, a lot of huge home runs. Obviously, you you know that there's Jocelyn Allo, T.R.A. Jennings, all the big boppers from Oklahoma. But I just want to shout out to Addison Barnard, who's got 21, and Madison Perrigan, 
who has 18 from Wichita State. So they're they're comfortable with OU. They're not afraid to play them. It's going to be a good matchup. So I'll go ahead and take on the other regional um, that will match up against you, Kayla. We I'll be out in Washington calling the Washington Regional. Um, this one to me is a great parody because this is the pitching regional, right? You've got Gabby playing at Washington. You've got Bobian and Sirocco at Mich- at. Did I say that backwards? You've got Gabby playing at Washington and <laughs> um, Bobian at Michigan. So you're going to see a ton of pitching dominance in this one. And so it's kind of cool that those are the two that do match up on the next round, um, depending on who comes out, right? There's always the favorite, but who's going to be able to come out is really going to come down to who's going to be able to pitch the best. And so the pitching regional will go against the hitting regional. It's kind of cool. Yeah, Michigan had to go out there, remember, uh, a few years ago to play, uh, and uh, the Huskies won that regional and advanced. Um, yeah, that, that, that is one of the most compelling, I, I think, matchups of the entire first round uh, or uh, opening weekend will be um, watching Michigan and Washington go toe-to-toe. We'll see what they've got uh, cooking there. Also with the upper left, you've got Knoxville and Columbia, uh, anybody think that Tennessee is so sick and tired of hearing that Liberty and JMU are going to upset them, that they're just going to come in and rock everybody's world? Yeah, I mean, if if Ashley Rogers, uh, if her finger is healed up and her back is strong, I think she, you know, she's a strikeout machine. We saw that in the SEC tournament when she was in the circle. Uh, Kiki Malloy, we could go on and on. Ivy Davis, they hit the ball out of the yard. They run well. So if Tennessee plays really good ball, which they're going to have to, um, I think they come out of this. But Odyssey Alexander, Kate Gordon, 17 home runs on the year for JMU. Liberty, you can't count. Then uh, Emily Kirby has 15 wins on the year. And then you have the Bishop sisters, Amber and Autumn. You know, they're both 300-plus hitters. So honestly, I, I think most intriguing will be JMU Liberty in the first game and Eastern Kentucky going up against Tennessee. So everything about that regional to me is like, I'm going to have one eyeball on that screen, looking at what's going on there while we're calling our matchup, Beth uh, at Florida. <laughs> yeah. Allie Shipman swinging a hot bat right now for Tennessee as well. Malloy, one of the better five tool players in the game, the Dukes though are smoking right now. They're 34 and one. I mean, we talk about two loss, Oklahoma. Don't forget one loss JMU. They're riding a 24 game win streak and Liberty with uh, uh, three top 25 wins. So there could be some intrigue there. Of course, they would then, whoever survives, perhaps play Missouri. Uh, but Missouri's got to get through the slamming Sammies. Yeah, I mean, Sammy Bunch and Sammy Williams. So Sammy Bunch for you and I and then Sammy Williams for Iowa State. Two of the best to ever wear the uniform at those schools. So I think that that is such a cool matchup because they're going – to a Missouri regional that of course, Missouri is known for their offense. So they're just going to fit right in. Um, But, and they're both seniors too. So they could be playing their last games. Um, Maybe one of them advances, maybe they don't, but I love the way too, that Missouri, um, Missouri has been playing you guys like this is a Missouri team that I thought um, a couple of weeks ago, a few months ago, I thought this could be a dark horse team to get to the women's college world series. And when you look at who they're going to play in regionals and their matchup in supers, I don't think that it's that far fetched now to think, Mm -hmm. wait, this could actually become a reality for Missouri. A team that would have missed out on the tournament last year, had it been played, who've been through the coaching changes and the controversy. And now uh, you're exactly right, Amanda, this looks like a pretty good road 
for Missouri if they play the way that they played at the SEC tournament and almost bounced Florida in that wild seventh inning at the SEC championships. Yeah, I think the big thing for Missouri is they have to keep their pitchers, have to keep the ball in the yard. Jordan Weber has given up 16 home runs. Lauren Criggs has given up 19. And as you said, with the slam and Sammies, if they can keep uh, the ball in the yard, I think Missouri pops out of the backside of this. All right. Uh, there uh, there we have the uh, clubhouse leader for our uh, episode name, Pops Out of the Backside, America. Uh, just surpassed rubric and texting on a plane. Uh, I was waiting for you, Smitty. I knew you'd come through for us. Uh, <laughs> Hold on, Beth. You've got to add the one. Nobody fights for you. You had a good one early on. You said number nerds, and I am number nerds. That number one. Nerds. I like that one better than pops out the backside. <laughs> <laughs> oh, um, speaking of uh, big hitters, Mississippi State is uh, showing up next on the radar here as we uh, move down the lineup card to the lower left. They've won, what is it, eight of nine heading into Oklahoma State, ladies. What do we think of this with Campbell and BU? Don't overlook my Patriot League champs now, Shro. Hey, your Patriot League champs, they only have two losses. I just realized that. I'm like, whoa. Uh, But Oklahoma State is intriguing to me because if you guys watch them at the Big 12 tournament, which you guys were all working, so I got to sit at home and, like, watch – they did not look good at the Big 12 tournament. They lost a one-inning extra inning game or a one-run extra inning game to Texas, and Texas lost to Iowa State in the next game, and they got run-ruled by Oklahoma in the championship. And then you've got Mississippi, who's just hot. They've won eight of their last nine, so it's an intriguing matchup with those two teams in my opinion. And you've got big boppers for Mississippi State with Folly Lua, Mia Davidson, And to me, when you watch that team play, they leave it all on the field. It's almost like they don't care who they're playing. They're playing the shirts in the other dugout. It doesn't matter what name's on the front of their jerseys. They're just playing the shirts in the other dugout. So it's an intriguing region to me. You got to be really careful with both Oklahoma State and Mississippi State because they're known to have late inning comebacks. So you can't just sit and rest on a couple runs to get the W. You got to stay on your toes because those are two teams that will ride momentum late in the game. No, I really like Boston U. You mentioned the two losses. Allie Dubois is really, really good. Their pitcher, she has like a 0.8 something ERA. And Ashley Waters is their head coach. She's done a really, really good job with that program. Like they're going to want to go in there and make some noise. Yeah, they, uh, I think Allie's now their career wins leader. They're on an 18 game win streak, which is a league record. And from my Lafayette College perspective, the fact that they beat Lehigh for the Patriot League Championship means I'm ready for BU uh, to make a little noise. All right, we'll see. We'll see what happens. There's good action in uh, in the Stillwater and the Norman areas if you happen to be around out and about. It is possible that this could be another one of those matchups head-to-head uh, with the Big 12 being the chalk here, Oklahoma State and Texas. Uh, but uh, as you've already referenced, bro, there's some bad blood here. Uh, what's the word? Uh, locally there in in Oregon. Yeah, I think that this Oregon team is hungry and I think that they have an opportunity. They feel a little bit, you know, disrespected as do most teams in the Pac-12. So first of all, there's tons of underlying layers to this region because you have Mike White, who used to be at Oregon, left for Texas, but basically took the majority of their team away from them. So this is an Oregon team that had to basically start from the beginning. You have Melissa Lombardi, who's used to playing in the Big 12, that comes in. She resurrects that program from nothing. And 
Uh, I think both of these teams feel a little bit slighted, the fact that they're playing each other potentially in this region. So uh, I think there's so many underlying layers that are going to make this ultra competitive. But for me, the big uh, factor in this this series is going to be Brooke Giannis. I don't think Texas is going to be able to hit her. I think that they struggled with G. Juarez, who's another, another really good lefty. Uh, they didn't score any runs off of her. They struggled with Kelly Maxwell this season from Oklahoma State, only scored one run off of her. So I don't think this Texas team is going to be able to handle a really power, excellent lefty pitcher from Oregon. Kayla, you mentioned the layers of drama and you hit the top layers, but do you guys remember, and I forget what year this was, 2013 maybe, it was kind of early on in the Mike White days at Oregon before they started making it to the World Series every year, but Oregon traveled to Texas and I was calling the Super Regional and there was a play at the plate. This this game, this Super Regional got chippy. Taylor Hoagland slid into home. I think Cuico was catching. There was... A, altercation of some sorts and Cuico, I think got tossed from the game. So this is just even deeper than like what's been happening the past three years when Mike white went to Texas, it goes a little beyond that. So this will be a, this will be a good one, Jen. A little add on in 2013 was pretty much when a lot of Oregon's uh, freshmen and COVID freshmen committed to college. Cause back then you were committing at 12 years old. Right. And they committed to Mike white. He recruited them to play at Oregon. So like you said, layers and layers, this goes pretty deep. All right. See how that one plays out. If the uh, chalk can survive there and then down at the bottom, uh, Duke in Athens with UNCG Western Kentucky and then Florida, they, they've already, what are they, 4-0 and already this year against USF, but they also have South Alabama and uh, and Baylor in town. And uh, Smitty, uh, you're going to be with me down in Gainesville. Why don't you lead us off here? Well, I, I think first off, you have Baylor, who they've had a tough year um, between injuries and just everything with their coaches, but they have Gia Rondoni in the circle, and she is like a super, super duper senior. Um, because she's been around for so long. Um, so if she comes in and has a great weekend, I mean, she can throw lights out, one of the best change-ups uh, in the business. But South Alabama, Olivia Lackey, an 18-game winner, and she gave Alabama their first loss. So this yeah. is a team, again, very good, very competitive. South Florida has Regina Corick, who is one of the best in the business at throwing pitches and moving things around. Um, but you know, you've got the Gators and the Gators have just figured out how to win, how to win late, how to walk it off. They've got more walk-offs this year than I had in my whole 25 year (laughs) career. So um, I don't know how they're doing it, but they're getting it done. Uh, They looked, I thought really good at the SEC tournament uh, until they ran into Montana Fout. So this is going to be an exciting one, but Tim Walton always has his team prepared. So what do you think, Beth? But in the, in the, in the circle, you didn't give up as many walk-offs in your 25 year career let's <laughs> clarify right. that it was I think they were up to 17 how many do you think Smitty allowed in her entire career maybe two or three that was early I'd say that was in your early days <laughs> yeah I, I think Flo- I think Florida will be tough to beat at home uh, it's gonna be hot it's gonna be muggy uh, I think that puts a premium on getting out there taking care of business and getting off the field so I think the other uh, teams there will want to try and stretch it out as much as they can uh, try and make sure that that pitching staff works. And, and honestly, Florida has been a team um, that hasn't scored a ton early. As you mentioned, they like to get things done late. So we'll, we'll see if they can um, rearrange their MO a little bit, but that's the left side of our bracket gang. 
Let's jump over to the right side on our seven innings podcast on the road to the Women's College World Series regional play Thursday, Friday, Saturday, and Sunday on all of our ESPN networks. Bro, JDH, Rose, Scarborough, BMO, and Smitty with you. Uh, Roll Tide Roll in the Tuscaloosa Regional and then Lexington. Chalk says it could be Alabama and Kentucky, uh, but you've also got the likes of Clemson and Notre Dame and Northwestern. How about Miami of Ohio with 41 wins on the year? Yeah, I think that the matchup that we're all looking for here is um, as a fan to see Cagle and Fouts pitch against each other. Both of those pitchers pitch about 70 miles an hour. Um, they can get out, so you can't get a lot of hard contact off of them. And Valerie Cagle is definitely their leader. Like, I, this is so interesting if they're going to be playing each other. However, remember, Clemson is a very young team. Alabama has one of the best home field advantages in the country. It's going to be a really, really tough chore for Clemson to go in there and knock Alabama off. But it would be fun to watch Cagle and Fouts pitch if that holds. And I was able to cover the ACC tournament where Cagle threw um, against Peyton St. George in the circle for Duke. And the thing that stood out for me was while Cagle was very mature in the circle and handled those outings very well at the plate, which is where we like to see her. She leads their team in offense, leads their team in home runs, but she steps in and took some uncharacteristic or young or immature at bats, chasing pitches out of the zone. And I think that that mentality happens over time and you can't rush that maturity. And so instead of just taking the walk, like we've seen Bailey Hemphill do this year where pitchers were throwing around her, Cagle tried to force the outing and was striking out. And so that to me is a big difference maker because as a young pitcher, she is a returning freshman. She did have the modified 2020 year, but with that immaturity, and I'm not trying to say she's immature, but the immaturity of her game that could be a difference maker as she goes up against a Montana Fouts who has been able to develop that maturity in the circle as she comes in as a junior this year. Yeah, I I think when you really look at these teams on paper, they're very, very similar. Batting averages are close. Runs per game, um, Clemson uh, 5.6, Bama 6. I mean, their ERAs are very similar. Their batting average Home runs, a little bit of disparity. Uh, Clemson hits the long ball a little bit more there, but they're fast. They they can, both teams will run a lot, very good uh, fielding percentages. I think the big advantage though goes to Alabama just on their toughness of schedule. And they've been in the pressure cooker a heck of a lot more than Clemson is. And that goes exactly back to what you were just saying, JDH. Now you read my mind, Michelle. This game's going to come down to, can you beat Alabama twice and I think that that's what Clemson hasn't proven yet that they could go out and beat a good team twice yet and then you know we talked about home field advantage I'm curious what you guys think but sometimes it might be ignorance is bliss for Clemson they've never been to a in a a stadium like that they've never ever in the history of their program played in an atmosphere atmosphere like that so hey maybe it doesn't get to them as much as some teams that know what's what to expect going in And then we referenced the Lexington, you know, so when you look at this, Northwestern is considered the four seed here. That means they, they were seeded even below Miami of Ohio because they get the top seed in the region, Kentucky. That, that intrigues me a great deal in terms of how the Kentucky looked or how the committee looked at the big 10. They've got a pretty good arm in Danielle Williams. Notre Dame is hot. They've won 13 of 14 and you know, the, the, uh, Red Hawks of Miami, champs of the MAC. They've got a 20-game winner in the circle, Courtney Vierstra. 
And they've got a 400 hitter with power in Carly Spade. Real intrigued at the possibility that uh, this could be a G5 team that could make some things happen. And the other thing that's going to be fun to watch moving forward, they're gaining ground on your favorite player here on the show, Kayla Kowalik. What's she hitting? 505. And here comes Jada. Jada's making up a lot of ground. She's at 504, I think, Jada Coleman, after a hot weekend for the Oklahoma Sooners. So I love the little sidebar stories happening. Watch Kowalik and Coleman this weekend to see who takes over that top spot and wins the national batting title. Uh, Power five players only won it nine times. Um, How about the Tucson Regional and then Fayetteville? This should be a fun one. Uh, Even if it's just chalk, that means we get an SEC versus Pac-12 showdown here, Shro. Yeah, I I look at this Arizona Regional, and despite the fact that Arizona hasn't had their best year and they really lack in the circle, I I think they're going to take this one, and I think they're going to do it pretty easily, honestly. When I look at the Arkansas Regional, it's a little bit more intriguing to me, only because Stanford just had those two wins against Washington last weekend, and their freshman Vodder is good. She can spin it. By the time Arkansas plays their first game at regionals, they will have played one game in 19 days because they had the last weekend of SEC by, then they had a double buy in the tournament. They lost their first game. Will Braxton Burnside be back? We think yes, but we don't know. She hasn't had a ton of reps. So I'm a little bit more intrigued with faith. The, the other thing, of course, with these two regions are, are the home run chases. So for Arizona, can Jesse Harper stack up some dingers out there in that wonderful Tucson air uh, against the pitchers in that region. She comes in with 89 in her career. So she is six shy of Lauren Chamberlain's record. And then you referenced uh, with Braxton Burnside, we were told after the sec tournament that she would be back. Uh, Braxton is, is a player that's chasing the sec single season record and is only a couple behind the record set by Bailey Hemphill. So Arkansas is going to have to deal with Stanford, South Dakota State, and Manhattan after winning uh, co-champs of the regular season in the SEC. Looking forward to watching uh, the Tucson Regionals and the Arkansas Regionals. How about Baton Rouge and Tallahassee? It seems like these guys get together every so often for a really good series. The chalk here would be LSU and Florida State. Uh, But there are some dark horses here. We've heard George Washington and Louisiana already mentioned a couple of times on the program. Yeah, and the the Tallahassee regional to me is more of a pitching regional. And normally we talk about Florida State and all their offense, but it just hasn't been there. And I feel like all year we were giving them the benefit of the doubt because they're the type of team that turns it on when May comes in April and they get better as they go, but it just hasn't quite been there. So really Florida State's been a pitching team with Kat Sandercock and also Kaylin Arnold. Um, But Aaliyah White and Gianna Mancha have had some really big wins for UCF. They beat Arizona and they've also beat Florida a couple of times. And then Shelby Lowe at Auburn, the lefty freshman. She is so good. So I think of this regional as a really good pitching regional. Um, And UCF knows how to win the big game. Now they've played some bad games too against some teams that they should have beat, but they get up for the big game and I could see them possibly getting out of there. Yeah, and I think what's going to be interesting for me on this is Florida State is uh, Sydney Sherrill. She really, really struggled early on in the year, but has come on super strong 
um, as of late. And Elizabeth Mason, those two bats, if those two bats can get hot in the postseason for the Seminoles, they can do a lot of damage. But um, it, it, this is definitely a pitching regional. Um, but, you know, you, you got to hit it and swing it if, and score some runs to win it. So, uh, you know, I, th- I think the Seminoles, if those bats wake up, they're going to be tough to beat. Well, and Michelle, I don't know that their bats are going to wake up. They had to redefine who they were scoring wise this year and where we typically think of them as a home run hitting team. They've had to change their mindset. They've been manufacturing runs going gap to gap, just trying to get the double to score the pivotal run in a game. They've only got 30. They only had 38 home runs. Um, That number may have changed. My chart is a little bit old, but they had less than 40 home runs and that's not typical for a Florida state team. So are they going to be able to go against a Shelby Lowe who has been very successful in the sec? Are they going to be able to come against a pitcher like that and come away with a win out of that regional? You guys by a show of hands, LSU versus Louisiana, who thinks LSU is going to win? There were zero now. Wait, now there's four. Who thinks Louisiana is going to win? I, I think Louisiana. Okay. The, the people All who I start know, with Jay's. Oh, I know, Jen. They're going to have the best food. They twice, right? Yes. They're going to have the best food there. Yeah. That is the best tailgate region, <laughs> bar none. Bar none. All right. That, that, that's the tailgate region. Uh, and, uh, and then we're moving down to uh, Arizona State and UCLA, Tempe and LA. Don't forget that, uh, that Tempe regional starts on Thursday. Everyone else gets underway on Friday. Southern Illinois, BYU, and Virginia Tech, the Rochard versus Hackbarth sisters showdown ought to be a fun one to watch in that nice desert air as well. Yeah, you know, Maddie Hackbarth has tied the ASU single season home run record at 20. She tied uh, Cheyenne Coyle and Katie Cochran are tied for it. So she's one away from a home run. Kiwi Rashard spins the ball so well, but she throws hard and the ball flies in Phoenix. So if she can barrel a ball up, she's got a chance to break that record at home, which would be really, really cool for her. And then we look down at UCLA, you know, Minnesota, these big 10 teams are just a huge question mark to me. Will Amber Pfizer surprise everyone and come out hot? Possibly, who knows? But Minnesota's got to get by Haley Jolcini and Fresno State, who have had a phenomenal year as well. So, I mean, I say this totally unbiasedly. I think UCLA comes out, um, and I do think Arizona State comes out of that region. I think the seeds hold, but it's going to be some really fun, entertaining softball at the bottom of that bracket. I agree with you. Last last thing I'm going to say is I totally agree with you about uh, Keely Rochard and Virginia Tech. She could literally pitch all three games if it goes, well, as many games as she needs to, because I, I was thinking super regional, but she can pitch as many games as she needs to. They could all go extra innings and she would look the same the first game Friday as she would the last game Sunday. Like she's just unbelievable with her strength and her stuff and the amount of strikeouts that she can still get even when she's tired because she can give different looks down when she needs to up when she needs to, too. Yeah. And uh, to your point on that, Amanda, because she spins it so well, she's not power and then movement. She is all movement. And so, is, and sometimes movement pitchers like that, the, the, the more tired they get, the looser they get and the more the ball moves. So <laughs> you think, oh, we're going to wear her down. And then you're like, oh, she's not wearing down. But so I could see that as well. <laughs> it's going to be a lot of fun. That's all we know all over the country nationwide. It's regional weekend coming up on the ESPN networks and it will start 
on Thursday, and we'll take you all the way through Sunday night. We start out with 64, double elimination format. We will end up with 16 at the end of the weekend and then head on to the Super Regionals, and then eight teams will advance to the Women's College World Series, which will start June 3rd and go through June 9th. I think we're all excited about the possibility of a Game 3 in the Champ Series this year. I'm calling it right now. Uh, moving forward. That is not my shagging stat, by the way, but it is time. This week on Shagging Stats. I'll jump right in and get us going. My shagging stat is uh, what we talked about earlier, and, and probably we need a better uh, number than the RPI when we're talking about how good teams are. So UCLA had been the number one RPI the last, uh, I think, couple of weeks. And, and then going into the SEC tournament, they were number one. Alabama moved to number one, I think, after their first game in the SEC tournament. And then they played Tennessee and Florida, which are both were at the time both top 10 RPI, while UCLA was playing three more games against Arizona. So what is the better number there? Because UCLA by Sunday night ended up jumping back over Alabama to number one. They played the same team, but three times. Alabama played the higher RPI teams twice. And that's my shagging stat. Who else got one, Amanda? Yeah, so um, I'm thinking of two sisters, sister combinations um, on two different teams, and they've both hit combined 30 home runs. So Amber and Autumn Bishop at Liberty have hit a combined 30 home runs, and Maddie and Kendra Hackbarth at Arizona State combined 30 home runs. Nice. All right, uh, I'll jump in real quick. So my shagging stat is zero two four one thousand, and I'm going to stay in our regional. And it's all about Georgina Korik. So she threw a no hitter, zero, gave up no hits zero. for the second time this year, for the fourth time in her career. And the game that she did it in happened to be head coach Ken Erickson's one thousandth win. So oh. there you go. That's my shagging stat. Well, if Amanda's going to go a hitting big, uh, big hitter stat, I must go a pitching, stat, right? That's how this works. We go backwards. So I am going to give you a Gabby Plain stat. And granted, pitching is not my wheelhouse, but she's got 302 strikeouts in 200 and a third innings. And so for me, and one of the things that we know about Washington is they will ride her arm all the way through innings pitch does not matter. And so for me and the Washington regional Gabby playing 302 strikeouts, that's insane numbers to me. What do you got Kayla? Um, I've got an RBI race in Norman, Oklahoma this weekend. Uh, right now, Tiara Jennings is at 76 RBIs on the season. Jocelyn Allo is at 75. So they're going to have an opportunity to win the RBI category because those are first and second in the entire country. And to put it in perspective, the next best RBI producers, there's three of them tied at 58 RBIs. So TRA and Jocelyn are just crushing the run production. Well, I'm taking my shagging stat straight from Megaronowitz's regional kickoff call we all had. 716 days since there was last eight first pitch and postseason softball. 716. I think I think that ought to be the name of this week's podcast, 716 Days. I think that might have just moved to the top of the ledger. Way to go, Shro! 
Shout out to Jersey Meg for that one. Dragon stats with Jersey Meg. Uh, down to the bottom of the order, we're going to wrap this thing up. Maybe if uh, a couple two tree players to watch. We call this sluggers, unicorns, and thieves. You probably got a pitcher that rakes. You probably got a home run hitter. Maybe you got a base stealer or somebody that lives off of stealing extra base hits out in the outfield. Who wants to jump in first uh, with a, a, a couple two tree players to watch in this year's tournament? JDH, you look like you're you're actively seeking out Amanda's help in this one, Amanda. Who now wants Bro to jump yeah, in? I, no, I didn't know oh, what no, you meant by bro. that. Um, I have a unicorn to watch. All right, All um, right. it's Sierra Lang for George Washington. Nice. I just really feel like she's going to play a key part in that Baton Rouge regional. Um, and then I have a unicorn regional that I didn't get to talk about is the Lexington regional with Autumn Humes, Alexis Holloway, Miranda Stoddard, and uh, and Morgan Newport and Daniel. Like all of them are pitching hitters. So unicorns all the way for the win. I got another unicorn for you. I'll take uh, Mackenzie Herzog from Texas A&M. She's a hitting pitcher. And, and, you know, we watched her in the SEC tournament tournament almost single-handedly beat Tennessee. She went four for four. She had a couple home runs. So it's really powerful when you have a pitcher that can be that successful. And she's going to have a ton of pressure trying to keep OU at bay this weekend in the circle. And she's going to have to help offensively. What's the over-under, by the way, on home runs for the Sooners this weekend? Anybody? What, are they going to get double digits? For sure, double digits. 15, I was going to give a little love to Kinsey Hansen, who just was on an absolute terror during the Big 12 tournament. She had five home runs in three games. And after not being named to a Big 12 team, she was named the MVP of the Big 12 tournament. Insane, guys. Wow. And that's not just catcher love talking right there. That's actual factual material right there. I'm going to, I'm going to give you a few, I'll give you maybe one of each. Um, Sierra Pierce was the MVP of the America East championship for the retrievers of UMBC game winning home runs in the semis and the finals of their tournament. They're going to be out in Arizona. That's a great road trip for UMBC also out in Arizona Villanova. They were stealing wins all weekend. Their first big East title. They won four elimination games to win the championship and get invited to the tournament. So, uh, and, and of course, sluggers, I'm going to say, let's see, Harper's at 89. I think she'll get two this weekend in the regionals, two home runs for Jesse Harper to get her to 91 and really make things interesting if they go to the supers. Well, I, I am a wildcat by heart. I hope she gets those two, but I don't see it happening. I think that's going to be a stretch for her. She has not been on the home run tear that we've seen this year. I am a Jesse Harper fan and I am constantly pulling for her, not only because she's a wildcat, but she's just a quality kid. But when it comes to uh, hitting the long ball, I think it's going to be a struggle for her to get him out this weekend. Um, I'm in a, I don't know if this qualifies in any of your three categories, but here's a player that I'm looking at this weekend. Um, Beth, Marissa Bruno, she's at Portland universe or Portland state. So the it's Vikings. We're, we're not going to talk about him a lot this year, but I do want to bring up her numbers. She is five, three and she leads the team in average and, and home runs or in, and in steals. And so for me watching her at the top lineup for Portland, U, she's going to set the tone for them, but more than that, she's, she came back and is a senior this year. 
She sets the tone. And for me, I think there's a lot of those players that fly under our ESPN radar that just don't get the attention and love because they're not in those power five conferences. But I think this weekend, as you watch these games, you're seeing a lot of teams that are playing for the last time and seeing a lot of seniors who will not be taking the field. And and I think that we need to make sure that we give them a lot of love because they've put their heart on the line and we've been there. We don't get to play anymore either. And I just really want to make sure that we highlight those players who have put it all out there. And Portland state is one of those teams that didn't get to have an off season. Their schools did not meet in person in the fall. They were not allowed to meet at all. They did not get to get together until the end of January. They canceled their first two tournaments because they couldn't even play. They weren't ready to play. And then they struggled to get started. And now they're on a streak. And I think that in this COVID situation that we've been in this year, we need to really give a lot of attention and love to those people, to those players who have struggled to finish their last years and play for the last time on the field. Amanda. Yeah. And I was going to say one more player that is in the Austin regional that plays for St. Francis. She's a pitcher, Grace Vesco. She is a 0.82 ERA and she's thrown 162 innings. So she's kept that ERA low, even, um, even with throwing so many games and so many times she has 22 wins. So I just want to give her a shout out too. Well, and I need to give her a little love. I got to coach her in travel ball playing through the ranks and she is one of the coolest people. I know she plays the game so hard, but is very quiet flies under the radar, but she is, has a changeup that is nasty. She's so hard to touch. So Amanda, thank you for bringing her up. You're helping my prep. Thank you. One more, one more from UIC, another senior, Kayla Weddle, leading the team by over 100 points in batting average, 432. She has 14 home runs, 51 RBIs, but that's not it. She has 30 stolen bases on the year. I mean, her, she's such a well-rounded player. So I'm, I'm interested to see what she could do in postseason. I'm excited to watch her. This is all good. I mean, it's not just sluggers, thieves, and unicorns. There are a lot of players out there who swing and they make contact and rainbows shoot out of their bats. So those are fabulous stories uh, to tell. And we need to make sure that we tell those. (laughs) I didn't, I didn't mean to come up with a new uh, name for the episode. It just may have happened, Uh, but I will leave us all with this feel good story heading into the postseason. It speaks to the dedication of all of the people that we get a chance to work with all year long, Um, Our producers, our directors, our audio guys, our graphics and camera people who absolutely love this sport. And one of their favorite things to do all year long is to work on softball and to be a part of our coverage for the softball tournament. This comes from one of our producers, Andy Bach. Uh, passed on to to uh, Vegas Vicky, and she passed it on to us. I'm sure you'll hear more about this story um, over the weekend. They're covering Southern Illinois with their ace pitcher, Sarah Harness, um, whose father was uh, in in a car accident and and is in a wheelchair and will make the 22-hour drive down to Tempe in his custom-made van to watch his daughter play. Good pops right there. Good girl dad right there. Also... When they found out, Southern Illinois, that they were playing in Tempe, Coach uh, Kerry Blaylock jumped on the phone and started calling around to alumni. They raised the money from boosters and local businesses to charter a plane for the team. And for many of them, their very first ever time to fly on a charter. Awesome stuff. 
it really truly is special, not just for the one and two seeds, but for everybody that gets to be a part of postseason softball. And it's been 716 days since we've seen a postseason pitch, and it's about to happen on Thursday. Thank you so much for being with us all year long, and thanks to all the dedicated people behind the scenes that make all of this happen. We're only getting started on the mayhem, folks. Regionals, then Super Regionals, then the Women's College World Series. Shro, Scarborough, JDH, Bro, Smitty, I'm Beth Mowens. Our whole cast of characters, thank you so much. And uh, we will see you soon uh, somewhere this weekend on national TV and uh, hopefully not so much on the internet, but it'll probably happen too. But, you know, maybe mostly on TV, boss, Vegas, Vicky. If you could, that'd be super. See ya. Bye.